Hi, you're listening to Your Best with my nanny, Kathy Weckworth. Hi, this is Kathy Weckworth, Executive Director of Best Life Ministries, and you're listening to Your Best, a motivational, inspirational 30 minutes that will help you want to be your best. This is Mike Tackett, author of The Baseball Whisperer, and you're listening to Your Best with Kathy Weckworth. Today's topic is investing in others. Today's society tends to have shifted to the me society. What's in it for me? How can it help me? What can you give me? What will make me better? With the conveniences of technology, the society continues to promote a self-involved attitude. And I am constantly reminded not only of others' shortcomings, but truthfully, of my own. I don't know about you, but with all of my work and time constraints, I find myself reaching out to others less and less. And in that process alone, I find myself isolated. But when I review all of my basic beliefs, all of the moral fibers within my soul attached to what mom and dad, Dwayne and Lita, taught me while growing up in the small town of Clorinda, Iowa, I find that I've forgotten the value and importance of not only reaching out to others, but believing in others and helping them to succeed. After all, life really isn't just about us. It's about growing and stretching and learning and sharing and helping others to become their very best on the road to helping ourselves become our best. As I peruse my DVD shelf, I find that I have a common theme. I really like the underdog. I am crazy about those stories where someone comes into the picture takes a very talented soul who's lost and helps them regroup to make themselves better, their best. Look at the simple stories like The Sound of Music, where Maria comes in and changes the lives of the children and the captain, or My Fair Lady, where Eliza Doolittle is transformed into her best version of herself. Look at Rudolph, Cinderella, or Beauty and the Beast. Each main character within these stories takes others and helps to transform them into their very best version. The main character always believes in someone. I like to believe in people. I watched my daddy believe in his students. I watched my mother believe in my siblings and myself. I watched my pastors believe in my gifts and talents. My teachers believe in my creativity and my friends believe in my caring spirit. There's nothing so great as to have someone believe in you Someone who constantly sees your best all the while you're acting out your worst, and yet they're patient, kind, and loving, and help you to push past all of that to get to where you're supposed to be. Because of my faith, I believe that God is this with us each and every day. He is pushing us, stretching us. Scripture tells us in 1 John, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. It's a wonderful comfort to know we're loved and accepted by God just as we are. But what an amazing thing to have friends, parents, siblings, bosses, pastors, or even coaches who truly believe in us. Those who walk alongside us on the path to encourage us to become our best can become our greatest advocates. So let me ask you this question today, and let's be honest with ourselves. Who are you investing in? Who do you believe in? And how can you make a difference to encourage that person 
to become their very best? Are you down and out and just thinking about yourself, wondering why nobody believes in you? Well, I think that in order for us to truly be blessed, we need to follow Scripture and its rules that God set out. And here's what he tells us, that we're supposed to love God, love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And then he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the clincher, isn't it? Get out there and get investing in lives of those around you. Be a part of others' success. Well, here to continue talking about building into others and helping them become their best is Michael Tackett. Michael is an editor in the Washington Bureau of the New York Times and author of the new book, The Baseball Whisperer, a small-town coach who shaped big league dreams. Friends, Michael wrote this fantastic book about my hometown of Clorinda, Iowa, and the remarkable coach, Merle Eberly, who believed in the value of instilling his team with encouragement, dedication, and hard work. As someone who personally grew up in Clorinda, I can tell you that it was a community that was proud of the good work that Mr. Eberly produced in his effort to believe in others and help them become the best version of themselves. Welcome, Michael, to the show. Hi, Kathy. Great to be with you. I'm excited. Michael, there's a saying that in order to write a good book, you need to have a good story. And the story of Merle Eberly managing summer college leagues over a period of almost 40 years turned out to be a great story of one man's huge impact on the lives of those in a small rural community, Clorinda. How did you find out about Merle and the Clorinda A's, and when did you decide to write this book? Well, I found out about it uh, after our son's experience. Our son was a college baseball player, uh, and he had been released from his team, um, and he didn't want to quit playing, and he wrote 100 teams around the country trying to get a second chance. Wow. One team responded, and it was the Clorinda A's. Hmm. He drove out 20 hours uh, to Clorinda, Iowa, where he had never been before, and uh, just had a magical experience. It, it sort of uh, restored his faith in a lot of people, restored his faith in a lot of things, and he also showed himself as a baseball player to the point that when he returned to college, uh, he was back on the team and, in fact, uh, the next year had the best earned run average on the pitching staff. How wonderful is that? So, listeners, let me just give you a vision again of Clorinda, Iowa, very sweet farming community, 5,000 people there, and people are really a community. So they, they love one another. They take care of each other. It's still very close-knit. So I love that vision of thinking in my mind that your son was traveling there and that they were accepting him. The Baseball Whisper, this brand-new book, talks about the fact that Eberly was not a saint and had struggled in his own past with rebellion and trouble with the law. Eberly turns this past around by building into others, which I love about him. How characteristic of a typical coach is this in today's society? Well, I hope it's typical. Um, you know, you never know for sure. But I know that in the lives of my own children, they were fortunate enough to have many good coaches along the way. And it, it really starts with the idea, I think, of making it about um, the player and not about the coach and making it about what the team is trying to do and not about what the individual is trying to do. And those are some things that I think Merle really believed in. And as you said, he sort of, you know, he had a sort of a troubled path, but it was a coach who redeemed him, uh, John Tidor, uh, who was legendary in Clarenda, had been a World War II combat veteran, had been the quarterback of the University of Iowa football team, 
And he was able to turn Merle around. And Merle was really looking for somebody like that. And once that happened to him, he decided to dedicate himself to that same proposition. I love how he is a legacy himself. But just think, somebody invested in him. And don't you think that that made kind of a big difference? Because with somebody investing in you, you're more likely to have that personality of wanting to invest in others. I think that's so true. But, but I also think there's another really important component to this, and that's Merle's wife, Pat Eberly. Absolutely. Um, they married, you know, right out of high school and stayed together, you know, for the next 40-plus years or 50-plus mm-hmm. years. And, you know, she was such a rock for him. And she was, you know, sort of a, she was definitely a co-equal branch of government when it came to the success, both of their wonderful family but also of the Clorinda A's. And after Merle passed away, uh, Pat really has been essential to carrying on that legacy. Yes, she has been. And, you know, I, I like that description of her because she really is so strong and such an incredible support system, I think, to any friends or family that's around her. With firsthand knowledge of growing up in Clorinda and understanding the value of the Clorinda A's, I felt the town's excitement and pride every single year that the Eberleys were starting up the summer teams. Does it seem strange to you that one man living in this farm rural community could play such an important role in assisting over three dozen athletes, you tell us in the book, to make it to big leagues? And do you just want to give us a few of those examples of the names? Well, I think the most famous, and is also sort of still a favorite son of Clorinda, is Ozzie Smith who played for the St. Louis Cardinals and, of course, is a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, and Ozzie's story is wonderful because it tells you sort of the larger story of the A's. He comes out there from Los Angeles. He'd never been to the Midwest. He thinks there's, uh, there's only a single word that comes to mind for him, and that's corn, <laughs> because he just didn't know what he was getting into. Sure. He was also one of the few African-American faces in town, and he found that the community of Clorinda absolutely accepted him and embraced him. And then he forged this relationship with the Eberly family that continues to this day. Uh, when the St. Louis Cardinals were in the World Series, he had the Eberlys stay at his house. Mm-hmm. When he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he had Merle and Pat in the front row of Cooperstown, New York. Wow. Um, and after Merle passed away, he commissioned a sculpture that's outside of, uh, outside of uh, Municipal Stadium today that everybody can see if they go to Clorinda. How neat. I love it. In a recent radio interview, you acknowledged that since Coach Eberly's death, that Pat had been the glue for that Clorinda A's. Um, How do you think that she's been able to continue Merle's legacy? Well, first of all, Pat is wonderful at relationships. And she can talk to those college coaches just almost the same way that Merle can. And so she and her son Ryan uh, every year go to an annual coaches convention. And they network and they talk to people. And I think when coaches meet Pat Eberly, they can be pretty assured that if they send their player to Clorinda, Iowa, they're going to have a positive experience. So it's that. I think she's also got extraordinary organizational capacity because there's a lot of logistics involved in this. It's not nearly as simple as it seems. Um, you have to schedule buses. You have to schedule umpires. You have to be in touch with all the other teams. You have to deal with parents who may be, you know, nervous about sending their child away from home. And she does all of that, and I, I mean, she just never gets rattled. 
Do you think that she learned some of that from Merle? But don't you think part of that is just the personality of how God's wired her, who she is? I, I'm going to go with more of the latter. Okay. Um, I think she had every bit as much impact on Merle as Merle had on her. Yes. And you know what? She's just an incredible bright light. I'm so excited because Clorinda has our conference coming now on September 10th to Westminster Presbyterian, and that's where Pat attends. And so she was able to come to one of my conferences in Missouri, and I just, you know, was able to spend some time with her and really feel blessed because she's a great, great encouragement um, to the town of Clorinda, a good representative. So a quote from your book states this, for Merle, Baseball was often merely the vehicle to try to teach something more enduring, and that's something which he wanted his players to experience was the sense of community that was such a binding force in his hometown. And Michael, I just am so impressed with how you as an author have have really grasped so much of the story and, and the way that you write is so beautiful. So you know, listeners are going to want to have a copy of this on their shelf. I have pride of my hometown. Do you think that Clorinda and rural Iowa were part of Coach Eber's, Eberly's success? Because, you know, you think of some of these big coaches I know just here in the Twin Cities, and they come from a lot of big cities. You know, they're shipped in from the bigger places. This is 5,000 people. I think that Clorinda is a place where people live their values. They don't necessarily wear them on their sleeves for people. Uh, a lot of it's just by example. And I think that without the people of Clorinda supporting what Merle and Pat wanted to do, it would have never happened. And I think that they are sort of that critical third leg of the stool that makes the program work. I totally agree with that. And one of the things that was so neat about Mr. Eberly is that he was very strict. I mean, I think about watching the Minnesota Vikings and all of the things that are happening there. And so frequently, those, you know, very, very well-paid players are really getting in bad trouble. But Mr. Eberly was very strict with them about what was going to happen. And for years, he emphasized that, you know, he was about growth and maturity and hard work But he had an approach for his team that included curfews and no beards and no drinking or foul language. Do you think that today's focus on winning and the money that they're paying them takes away from that original purpose and life lessons of the true game? I think that the people who end up being very successful follow a very similar pattern. Um, The people whose success is transitory uh, may follow a different pattern. And at the amateur level, um, all those values still matter. I mean, Ozzie Smith just said the other day um, when we were on a radio show together on another station um, that he thought it was really more the work ethic that Merle instilled, the idea that nothing comes easy even if you're gifted. Uh, In fact, sometimes especially if you're gifted, uh, you have to force yourself to work day after day because The pyramid is so narrow at that level of competition um, that you have to maintain your edge. Yeah, I think that's so incredibly true and what great encouragement. Michael, thank you so much for being on the show today and thank you for writing this great book that honors such an incredible man that had such great impact on so many people. 
I'm just very excited about it. And listeners, I want to encourage you to purchase this wonderful book. It's again called The Baseball Whisperer, A Small Town Coach Who Shaped Big League Dreams. And in order to get that, you can log right on to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Michael Tackett, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. Oh, Kathy, it was my pleasure. Thank you. I like to think of Mr. Eberly and how he affected so many lives for the better. I like to think about Mr. Tackett and how he wrote about that and how he's affecting lives for the better. How are you making an investment? How are you affecting lives for the better? How am I? I have to ask myself, what am I doing? And you know, it's interesting because we look at Mr. Eberly in this story, The Baseball Whisperer, and in real life for those of us who knew him, and we know that he was blessed and valued because of how he treated others. Who knows, maybe someday we'll be turning on our television set and we're going to see some sort of an advertisement for the upcoming movie, The Baseball Whisperer, and it will continue to grow and become even more successful so that people understand what it means to invest in others. All I know is that even with Merle's passing, his family continues to this day to build into the Clorinda A's and others in the community. That legacy lives on. And speaking of thinking of others and building into them, not solely about ourselves, but really focusing on the people outside of our own being. Here's Pastor Rachel Warner to share thoughts from the Pastor's Corner. Hi, Best Life friends. I'm Rachel Warner, and I'm a pastor in Maplewood, Minnesota, and I'm also a mom to two children, Stella and Harris, ages six and four. As my kids get older, they are starting to learn that the rules that we have around how we share are a little bit tricky. For example, when we go to a friend's house and we're playing with our friend's toys, we give our friends permission to say which toys we may or may not play with. But when we have friends over at our house, the rule is that we always share all our toys so that everyone can enjoy them as much as we do. You can imagine that for my small children, this can sometimes seem like a conflicting message. And I think for the family of faith, sometimes we are conflicted as well when it comes to lessons about generosity. We sometimes wonder, why does God ask us to share our blessings with others? Can't we simply enjoy our hard-earned fruits of our labors for ourselves? But I have to turn to 2 Corinthians, where Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and giving this advice about generosity in chapter 9. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. And a little later in that same chapter, you will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For me, friends, this is the most important reason why we must share our blessings. God blesses us that we might be a blessing to others. And in being a blessing to others, we are doing the good work of spreading the gospel. We are showing the people around us that God loves them. And we are creating opportunities by which we can tell the good news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ as we open doors to conversation and community by giving with generous spirits out of the many blessings God has provided for us. Go in grace and peace this day with generous hearts. 
Amen. Thanks for those great thoughts, Pastor Rachel. Friends, one of the things that's a natural human tendency is to put ourselves first. You know what I mean. You might have your spouse ask to split that half of that great-looking piece of chocolate fudgy cake. It looks so good to you, and you wanted it all for yourself, and now you're going to have to share. Or maybe it's your kids wanting to come for the weekend, and you knew that, boy, you were going to have this great, restful day just all planned, and now the kids are coming, and you're going to be in charge of babysitting. You are looking forward to something different. Maybe it's your boss piling on more work and you think it should go to Susie Sunshine in the next cubicle. Or perhaps your family forgot to say happy birthday and now you're miffed. You don't want to appreciate any of them. All of those things can lead to self-absorbed behavior and thinking. When we think of others, we're better. When we invest in others, we're Christ-like. When we make time to encourage others, well, we become our best because our focus is exactly Christ's focus on others. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, he says, learn to be the servant of all. I believe that one of the ways we can help ourselves to stop focused on our soul, individual lives and everything that's happening is by thinking before we respond to people, not just about how we're feeling or a snappish comment. I just had that while I was on the phone. I was trying to explain what I needed and the person said, get to the point. And I thought, hmm, all right. We don't want to be like that. And one of the ways we can do that is by focusing outward and slowing down. Here's John Jennings with the latest installment of Leadership Moments. This is John Jennings with Leadership Moments by Jeremiah Palmer. Next time you get an email, a phone call, a question, choose to stop before responding. In a world where you can be reached nearly instantaneously, realizing that you have the option to pause can be mind-blowing and freeing. What makes stopping before responding a useful practice? First, just practicing stopping will strengthen your muscle of awareness. You will start to realize how often you are had by a belief, assumption, feeling, or habit. Instead of just reacting, you will pause to consider what is happening in this moment. Second, choosing to stop will allow you to consider a host of additional things. Do I even need to respond? If so, what options do I really have? What is important in this conversation? Am I responding from a place of values and purpose or from a place of fear? Recognizing we have choice is awesome because we also wake up to the fact that we have so many choices at hand. Third, stopping allows for us to see a problem or question more completely. Often, the challenge at hand is complex or at least complicated. By pausing, you give yourself and others the opportunity to wrap your mind around the issue. This spaciousness opens the door for creativity. So, how do we build stopping into our lives? Practice. It could be choosing to pause before responding to your seven-year-old, or stopping because you're jumping into your day, letting an email sit as you consider choices. Of course, the more you practice mindfulness, the more you will build this skill. Lastly, no matter your intent, you will forget to stop along the way. Just recognize it, reflect upon it without judgment, and then try it again. Building moments of stopping into our lives will help us present our best thoughts, our most encouraging responses, and our most helpful selves. After all, if we're investing in one another, we've got to stop and take time. We have to make time for others. 
Let's take a minute and listen to this encouraging song by Tim McGraw, Humble and Kind. And when you listen to it, think about how you're responding to people. Think about the story that we just heard about the baseball whisperer and Mr. Eberly, or maybe your family or friends. Just remember to always be humble and kind. You know there's a light that glows by the front door. Don't forget the keys under the mat. When childhood stars shine, always stay humble and kind. Go to church cause your mom says to visit grandpa every chance that you can. It won't be wasted time, always stay humble and kind. Between sleeping with someone And sleeping with someone you love I love you ain't no pickup line So always stay humble and kind Hold the door, say please, say thank you Don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie I know you got mountains to climb Take for granted the love this life gives you 
When you get where you're going, don't forget, turn back around. Help the next one in line. Always stay humble and kind. So as I listen to that song, I think about Mr. Eberly and the story, but I also think about my own dad and mom and how incredibly encouraging they were, how they believed in so many people. You know, with my daddy at the college right down there across from the baseball field where the Clorinda A's played, my dad year after year invested his life in his students. He was a great example to me. My mother continually just took care of us and loved even the neighborhood kids. She was a great example to me. And I learned about investing in people and investing in the lives of those who are working with me or are related to me. So I want to encourage you today, just think about it. Who are you investing in? Because as we've talked about before in other episodes of the show, you know, we don't always see a response right away. Maybe if you invest in somebody, it might take a couple of years for them to realize what you did. But it's not about the reward that we get. It's about just doing good for God. So today, I want to encourage you to be able to really step up to bat, to walk out there and to encourage the people that are living lives next to you. Let me pray with you. Dear Jesus, help me to put my own selfish desires aside. Help me to promote others, encourage others, and pay attention to others. And stop, Lord, help me to stop and to look around and see who needs me. When the world doesn't seem to care about me, help me to ignore those feelings and give from the depths of my being to help others become their best. For in that choice itself, we'll be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you missed last week's show, you can listen to the podcast on iTunes at Kathy Weckworth, Your Best. For more encouragement and hope, log on to our website at bestlifeministries.com. And for more information about me, you can log on to kathyweckworth.com. Hey, thanks for being with us today. And until next time, I encourage you to go out and be your best.